0: Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters.
1: We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. We're really excited to bring you part two of our conversation with one of the finest singer-songwriters in America today. Hey, I'm Jesse Terry.
2: I turn on the TV, I look out a window, it's easy to lose faith, get caught in the
1: Welcome to part two of our conversation with Jesse Terry, an award-winning singer-songwriter from Connecticut by way of
2: Nashville.
1: To spend time with Jesse and his music is to feel that you've just made a new friend. In part one, we got to know Jesse a little bit as he shared some of his stories and insights about his life in music. I
2: need to carry with me.
1: We're excited to dive back in for part two of our interview with Jesse, for more thoughts on his creative process, on what lies ahead, and how songwriting for him became a way out of dark times into the light. We hope you enjoy the episode.
0: So in terms of songwriting, are you a, it, it never occurred to me to ask if someone was a title first songwriter, but like, are you a music first or, or, or a lyrics first songwriter? Well, I'm, I'm definitely a, a music and like
3: title person first, like as as many titles as I have, I probably have more like audio clips with like no titles, you know, just maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say like, um, you know, I'll, whatever vibe i think it has you know or just like really cool work on this one you know (laughs) that's like the title of it you know and then i go back to it and and um and often those become become songs because those are times where where you're not thinking and the music is throwing is flowing through you you know so you have to like capture that because when you're just sitting down it doesn't always it doesn't always do that you know it so it's so I have a ton of those, and then these you, ti- these titles uh, and
1: do you are you a member of the the club that you start singing or like words you find words just yeah the gibberish coming like, out, coming out of your mouth do they mm-hmm. form words and then you're like maybe this song is about yeah x
3: yeah well I mean you kind of you can maybe hear words later I love I love the gibberish like approach and I love like hearing like the frit like. Picking up on that phrasing when you are being really natural and not editing yourself, and not mm-hmm. being hard on yourself, and just picking up on that phrasing and and even like what vowels sound good. Like it might be you know it might be that you just revisit that and say, well, that vowel really needs to be like an O sound there because that's that's magic right there. I know
1: that about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From writing with you. Like. You're... I hope
3: I'm not like a like a Nazi. About no, that. A I vowel think it's. Nazi.
1: I think it's really interesting because you'll think of a way to like what, how the words sound coming out of my mouth. And right. Like, I, a lot of times I feel like I'm just the opposite. Like I'll find a way to fit a word I want in there. Right. Know, even if it doesn't sound the most natural, like,
3: but that's cool.
2: I'm going
1: to find a way to jam it. Yeah. in
3: there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I dig that too. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just a cool, it's cool that those titles you can, you know, and I, I look back at my title list. And I'm like, oh, like these are down at like the second and third page or whatever. Like I keep them there as reminders because like they've turned into songs that have been on records, you know. So I'll, I'll that'll give me confidence when I look back over the other titles to be like, don't give up on these quite yet. Like there might be a title in there, and and that can that can lead to something, and and. Um, I think brainstorming is really cool. And like, um, object writing and, and stream of consciousness writing kind of the artist way approach. I think that's very cool. Something I need to do more of just like you always can do more reading, you know, you can always do more object writing and more, you know, just it. And if you do that before a song, it just gives you so much extra material and just cool words and cool, um, you know, um, descriptions and adjectives and mm-hmm. and smells and tastes and feel you know what i mean it just makes is that something you picked up from berkeley yeah i think that's probably more of a berkeley thing um which is probably why i don't do it you know as, as much as i should you know before even though i'm a big fan of that stuff i just kind of got away from from that really structured stuff but i do think that like stream of conscious consciousness writing and being open and and um, kind of meditating on a on an object or a thought or something that's not really structured at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's actually quite beautiful to, yeah. to do that. You know. Yeah. So I should do that more before before songs. I'm I'm like learning here as well too, and like reminding myself like what's important
0: about being a writer and reading is so important. You know. I was gonna ask. You know, like honing honing that mechanism or honing that id almost. You know, like you mentioned wanting, like you hadn't picked up a pencil and drawn in a while and maybe you want to do that again. Like, are you doing other things to sort of feed that creative side of you that help sort of, you know, cross train? Uh, not as, not as much like, you mean like visual art or, or or, like you said, reading or other things that are sort of just putting other things to use, you know, like putting other types of fuel.
3: I'm trying to just force myself to read more and like read, read great, um, Read great stuff like you know Steinbeck and mm-hmm. you know like really really great authors um, because all the really great songwriters like a Joni Mitchell you know like brilliant people mm-hmm. you know and um, so I, I'm 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 forcing myself to do that but you know it's it's definitely something that you have to be aware of because like after touring and if you have a family and like promotion and and emails and booking and all that stuff that there has to be a balance there um and that's a hard balance to find and for me like just going through like the season of writing for multiple records and then releasing multiple records like how much work that is like working with multiple publicists Mm and uk and us and radio promoters and and doing all that stuff you can you i got really sucked into that for a while. And I, th- I mean, I think it was vital that I, I did. But now that I'm getting back to like, writing songs and getting into La La Land, I'm, I'm remembering like how much I love that. Mm-hmm. And like how much I need that, you know, like, and I'm not posting as much, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not, like, we've gotten some, some record reviews lately, or some different stuff that I could have posted about. And i was like i'm gonna write you know like i need to write like it's you can't get there has to be a balance you know i don't think it should be all all one thing if you're an indie like you you can't just write you know you need to learn you know i i can't really afford like great digital marketing right now so like i'm taking a course on digital marketing so i do that like on some days Mm -hmm. you know and i work on that but i can't I'm not a digital marketer. You know, I'm not going to do that like all the time, but I think it was important for me to do that. And like um partly cuz I can't afford <laughs> I
0: can't well, afford it right now. But but, but you I mean yeah, have you've made a living for 10 years. Yeah. Almost 9 years yeah. doing this. You know, yeah. I think that's one of the things that was fascinating for me at least about so grateful for that, man. Well, it, yeah. You're you know, you don't try you're not with a band. You're not traveling with a band. It's no. it's you. You're not yeah. signed to a label, but you have management, you have publicists, you know, and yeah. I think some of that Booking, probably there was is really important. And you grew up with an awareness that this could be a profession, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was probably both a, like a luxury and, um, you know, a challenge, Yeah, you know, in, yeah. In, in many ways probably. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I remember the first time I saw you probably was maybe 2012 or t- 2013, something like that. Oh maybe. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it was, but you were touring through by yourself and I'm like, what do you mean this? Guy doesn't have a band and he's just here. Like, you can do that. I don't, you know, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's done. But
3: I might have not had an apartment at that point.
0: But. Well, but I mean, but, you but had you had know, your car. I had the car. There's no you, you, you see those people, but they're, you know, they are like the best people at an open mic night. And then you see musicians that come through that you are you're like, what? No, this guy's, this is a real deal, you know? Um, and it doesn't, I don't know that it occurs to a lot of people. It certainly didn't to me. And I had been touring in a band for a while that like you could just do this by yourself you don't need a label or like you know right yeah so have you do you think there are times you like you wish you were touring with a band or that you would find that more liberating or enjoyable or yeah definitely especially when I play with like really great people you know
3: and and I'm just like oh man that is that's so beautiful and that's really adding to like what I'm doing and I mean Ed's one of those people you know I mean so I do know actually so (laughs) You do. I know firsthand. I mean, so there's part of it and then there's part of it. That's like, you know, I tour with my, my wife and, and, and now my daughter and, and my rescue lab mix Harrison, you know? And like, so it's very full. And you're all in the
1: Fiat. How do you do it? <laughs> We're all, yeah. We well, yeah. used to have a
3: Corolla. We just bought a minivan. <laughs> it was a very, it was a neat, and we need like a roof rack now too, which is just really upsetting. But I mean, yeah, but I mean like it's, it's great fun you know and and for the most part you know and and um i love the fact that you can play solo and captivate an audience and there's something really liberating about that and there's something really beautiful that um there's nothing in the way you know what i mean there's not um sometimes with i love i love the full band shows but sometimes that gets in the way or it gets in the way of the lyric or the mm-hmm. vocal, it can, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the venue, depending on the on the band.
0: Well, that's, that's, a you thing know, too. I mean, and you so, know, we talk about the hideaway and there's even bad nights at that venue, you know, but, it, and I'm sure it's true of a lot, but yeah, sure. finding a venue that truly allows you when you're a singer songwriter like that really, um, yeah. Giving you a venue or an avenue to actually have somebody hear your song, you know, and right. you don't hear yeah. the murmur of people talking and, You know, there's so many different places you can play that are considered great venues and could be great bands and people are there to hear you, but they're still doing other things or socializing during it. And, you know, so it's, you know, for anybody that takes it for granted, you can just go find a place, sit on stage and not be affected by when you're singing something really intimate or that is, you know, very lyrically dense or driven or, you know, nuanced and like it has to land. Otherwise, it feels like it's a bad feeling. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's a terrible feeling. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, you don't want that, and it drives me crazy when people are are talking and stuff. So I've been I've been through that. You yeah, know? like I've, I've I, I had to make a living for a while playing covers. You know, like when I started. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> and then like it became like half covers and half original gigs. And then at a certain point, it became all original gigs, and so now I'm just not accustomed to like right people being rude. You know, so it just drives me. Well, crazy. it doesn't occur
0: to some people. You know, it. Yeah,
3: no. I mean, like I'm not like. I'm not too bad with it. I don't, I don't get into into many fist fights, but you know, it's it's something I try to avoid. Yeah. Even when someone else is playing a, a song. Totally. You know, I just
1: You don't get in too many fist fights. Right. Occasionally
3: I do get into some.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, everybody does, right? Yeah, uh, that's literally okay. what you just
1: said. You said you don't get in too many fist <laughs> Right. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you need a good fight every once in a while, you know? What Jesse a lot of that in the, the folk world. Stargazer <laughs> was
0: being played to somebody who's leaving this world, but that's because Jesse had injured him so badly in a fight. That's right, right. <laughs> yeah. that's right. He was, talking. I was kind <laughs>
3: enough to sing it to him after <laughs>
1: that. Well, uh, you want to play another song for us? Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I
0: think, you know, in the interest of time, kind of bringing it back in terms of, I'm really interested in what you think in terms of your journey. Some yeah. of your highlights, you know, and right. I think one of the ones that you wanted you to play for us, Let the Blue Skies Go to Your Head, I, that yeah. got picked up, right? By oh, yeah, yeah. And you want know, to talk about that a little bit?
3: Well, yeah, that's that song like saved my career because my, my wife, I've been on two like, you know, homeless kind of address. I don't want to say homeless, but um, well, we didn't have a home or an apartment. So I guess I can, say, I can say that. But, you know, just, um, you know, just tours where we really couldn't afford to have an apartment you know um the first one was that first tour that i booked i didn't know what the heck i was doing you know at all and didn't have any fans so it was mainly house concerts and just weird gigs like you know i i played it i mean not not to offend any nudists out there but you know i played a nudist (laughs) resort i I don't think they're
0: worried about offending anybody so (laughs)
3: yeah no no i mean it's it's i have no problem with it i just just different kind of you just took any gig you could get you know i played for a cover did you have to play I nude played also. For, no no i mean i probably would have right at that point you know it was 500 bucks yeah i'd probably yeah, i'd probably do that for yeah. now but um yeah so i mean um yeah so getting to that yeah i mean that second tour we i, I remember just being like my wife was got a got a job in new york city after that first tour, and we moved to Westchester, New York, just outside of New York City, and I was touring full-time, and my wife was working full-time in the city, and it was just, it was just killing us, you know, even though, like, her job had, had room for advancement, and all that, you know, all that grown-up stuff, but we were apart so much that it was just killing us, and killing our relationship, and all of that stuff, so, so she, she, actually, I was in St. Pete when she called me, and she, um, she called me and said, "Is it okay if I um if I quit my job and we move back into the car?" And I said, "Absolutely." You know, like what you know, what took you so long? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yeah. <laughs> so we did another nine months together out on the road, just just me and Jess and um and our dog too, our old dog Jackson Brown, and um and I remember that I rem- remember getting that email after we we lost our shirt in Europe on our first European tour. And we pulled into Paddington station and that email was, I believe that was where it was waiting for me. And we were just out of money, like, and no credit cards or anything. I went Mm -hmm. bankrupt like that year, I think. (laughs) I mean, it was just like not a good money time. Not like now where I'm like loaded with cash. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like it was just a really low point financially. It was a great, it was a high point, um, in my life, but, um, Money was not part of that equation, so yeah, getting that that email and so what? from Warner Brothers or or this the music supervision company that that did this show called Heart of Dixie, which I had never heard of before, mm-hmm. but they offered me this amount of money to, for my song, and I said yes, please. You mm-hmm. know, you know, where do I sign, and how fast can you can you get it to London? You know, mm-hmm. and that so I mean. Without that song, I'm not sure what I would have done that year.
0: Yeah, well, let's hear it.
2: Yes, every driver About a quarter to nine you can hear the boardwalk and the carnival no rides. And it's much too early just to sit at home. But you only see thorns as he hands you ropes. As you lean on the hood of his car. His engine's warm, he's waiting for you. Tell me what you got to lose. It's so hard for you. Something real, yeah You're always counting Counting on rain Life's always gonna fall the same Oh, don't go inside Don't you play dead Honey, let the blue skies Go to the head. You see a flashy childhood In his halogen lights You can picture him leaving without a goodbye You gotta push that away, girl Or you'll never get out And this cruel old world will keep crumbling down You ain't always gonna be this young His engine's warm He's waiting for you Tell me what you got to do so hard for you to believe in something real. Is. You're always counting, counting on rain. Like it's always gonna fall the same. Oh, don't go inside, don't you play dead. Honey, let the blue skies go to your head. Oh, oh, oh. oh. It's a long hard.
0: So if that that song is one of the ones that like you said I mean you know basically saved saved you at that point. Yeah. Is the song's lyrical you know content something really meaningful and special also?
3: I th- I think it was just written
0: Or just it just drivel.
3: It's mainly just drivel <laughs> like
0: all the all the rest of them. Just insincere and
3: I think it was just written to maybe myself and maybe a a a bunch of other people as well just kind of um that feeling of, of w- when things are really good, you have more to lose. And um, I mean, like right now, I mean, like you know, I mean, just just the the feeling of having a five month old little girl, you know, is just I love her so much. Like that that fe- that fear is 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 like nothing I've ever experienced. You know, like that 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 amount of love creates like this fear. So I mean the song is kind of about that is is like you have to feel that fear and still be able to go on with your life and mm-hmm. and, and not believe that like the rug's gonna get pulled out from you and everything's gonna just yeah. turn to shit you Well, know like and it it's
0: is, i mean it's I, in terms of like the lyrics being super dense or deep no but the message in the way everything i heard an interview with leno recently and he's talking about comedians in the way that like they could be saying something really simple, but there's almost like a lyrical, musical quality to the way that they lay words out. And I think that song, especially, is almost more impressive in that it is a, a, a fairly straightforward message of exactly what you said, which is like, yeah. you know, you got to take your chances and yeah. don't be scared. But just like lyrics, like, you know, you're always counting on rain, like it's always going to fall the same. You know, just that idea of. Like it's you know the same dark cloud hanging over you, and the way that phrase falls, like it's just stuff like that. I, I think is really special about that song. Oh,
2: cool! Thank
1: you. I think you. one of my favorite lines is, um, "You can't lose them all," because oh, yeah. it kind of turns. You can't win them all. Turns it on its head. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't lose them all. You might win. You know. Once right. You-, <laughs> you might actually get lucky <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah, they can't all be. They can't all be sad songs can't all be depressing yeah as much as i'd love that i was gonna say <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the most relatable
3: no but i mean like yeah i mean i i come from a all back... of mine are depressing <laughs> yeah ed's got some great depressing songs yeah like... even if they're <laughs> up, oh they, they man. make you depressed i mean but like heard. they they make you feel like you're not alone yes. you know what i mean like <laughs> it's like a jackson brown thing or like yeah. a, you know they um... make
0: me feel like i want to be alone <laughs> right yeah right you know. now, a quick ditty about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Songdivers is proudly recorded in St. Petersburg, Florida. One of the reasons we love this area is due to how beautiful many of the homes and businesses are here. Well, many of those picturesque facades are due to the lush and tasteful work of Ryan's Green Design, one of the best landscaping and horticultural companies in the Southeast US. Their work can be seen from South Florida to South Carolina and on their social media channels. Whether it's updating your garden or a commercial retail center, getting a hold of Ryan's green design should be your first step. We can't wait to work with them on our next project, which we hope will be a new studio in our hometown. To see their work and get started on your next green space project, visit songdivers.com slash green for a free quote. And now, back to the interview.
3: I think, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to writing for the next stuff that I'm doing. Like, I think we're going to do some singles and then of course, another album, you know, or two or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm enjoying like digging, digging farther back into my childhood as well. And, and because, you know, for a little while, I think because I, I did have such a, a rough childhood um, and turbulent kind of upbringing, I feel like a lot of my songwriting was about turning stuff around. And I think people, you know, think of me as a fairly, positive dude and like you know i think my songwriting for the most part reflects that even if i'm singing something that's like negative sometimes like it doesn't feel negative you know it's just mm-hmm. just kind of the that that was kind of my way out you know that was my music was my um you know my lifeboat you know so like it so does you
1: find yourself revisiting some of that childhood uh turmoil and yeah like turning it into a
3: And now that's becoming like, you know, revisiting some of that and like being okay with writing some stuff as well that's kind of, that's darker is, is kind of healing in a way because you can let go of it and you can let go of the anger that you have towards, or the sadness that you have towards some of those people or some of those situations. And
1: tell us a little bit about one of them because I co-wrote a song with you.
3: Oh, the one we wrote together. Called
1: Stay Low.
3: Yeah. So I got, so... I haven't. I haven't told many people this whole story. I, I won't tell the whole story because I know this is not like a four-hour podcast. But <laughs> <I> <laughs> mean, <laughs> my airwaves <things>. are yours. <laughs> and like, it's not. It's not therapy. Well, it's kind of is therapy. This is all therapy yeah. and healing. And um, but yeah. I mean, I left. Well, I shouldn't say I left home. I got sent away when I was very young, like around twelve. Now, my as I said, my parents split when I was young, and I think my parents thought, okay. We might have dodged a bullet here. I think we I think the kids turned out pretty like normal. Even though like, you know, when they were growing up we were we were doing whatever, we were drinking, we were drugging, we were we were you know, doing we were really good people and, and loved us, but doing some pretty crazy stuff as well.
0: Did you have a big family? Are you a bunch of brothers and sisters?
3: Just one sister. Um yeah, so a pretty small family and we spent most of our, our upbringing... Most after the split, we spent most most of our time with um, my mom and my stepfather, who's no who's no longer part of the family. Um, And but around twelve, like around age twelve or so, I don't know what happened. Like something changed in my like chemistry, my brain chemistry, and I just went I just went nuts. Like I just I had so much anger, you know. Like I was just
0: which is hard to imagine because. Every time I've seen you, and met you, I mean, I, I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, there's a smile on your face, and part of that's probably because you just really enjoy what you're doing, and I, I would too. But
3: life has changed. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's is, just
0: it's hard to imagine uh, you with. Any I do anger. still
3: have road rage. Like I'm working on. I'm, I'm. still working through that, and like listening to like, the Art of Happiness by um <laughs> or, the, or what is it? The Dalai Lama book. I love that. It's the greatest book. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, I was. I was breaking windows and I was, I was, you know, I remember, I just remember just being so angry. Like how, you know, how could you guys be such bad parents? You know what I mean? And, um, uh, and just, just feeling very betrayed and, 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 you know, it was just a a rough time. And I just, I had, so I think that led to like having no respect for authority. So like, you know, I was 12 years old and if a teacher asked me to do something, I'd just say, you know, Go F yourself, you know, then I mean, truth, you know, like, wow. And these teachers just didn't know what to think, you know? So I got sent away to Yale, New Haven, like psychiatric hospital when I was like 12 or something like that. And I, I don't think I was, I really don't think I was, was, I wasn't crazy. Like I was a really angry kid. I needed love. I needed, I didn't need that, you know? that that wasn't what I needed. Um, it was very intense. It was a lockup kind of thing. It felt like prison, you wow. know, like if you didn't obey what they were saying, they put you in restraints. It was very much like a, a you know, like a, a movie or like a gothica or kind of, th- it felt like that, you know, like, um, and you're
0: 12 or 13.
3: It's like 12 and a half, you know? And so I got out of there after a few months and went back home. And that at, at that point, like, After your parents send you somewhere like that, you really don't want to be around them. You know what I mean? It didn't didn't help, you know, like um, it just made me want to create my life by myself even more. So I just kept getting into trouble. And then I got sent off to another psychiatric hospital, um, Silver Hills um, in Connecticut.
0: That just sounds like a psychiatric hospital.
3: It's actually a beautiful place. Like my school system paid for it. I think it's like I think it's like 50,000 a month or something. Like Michael Jackson I think went there and the and like the and Some of the Allman Brothers
0: or this is where the songwriting happened. This is
3: the good stuff. Yeah, this is the, I mean this is I'm just being totally transparent with y'all. I don't Yeah. I, and that's the thing. It takes a while to like not be ashamed of that. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm a I don't even drink, you know what I mean? Like yeah. but I'm happy to tell you about these things um or share it with the world because it's just it's what happened you know um
0: so what age are you now when you go for your second round
3: so i'm probably like 13 or so oh so it was like 13 and a half yeah pretty much right back i probably got into some trouble at school they probably found some drugs or something you know i might have stolen it from my parents you know i mean Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know i don't really remember everything but i know that I know that Silver Hills was like this amazing experience. Like once I got out of the hospital, they send you down to live in these cottages. And um you know, I had my first kiss down that they were co ed cottages, you know? Oh wow. It was amazing. So Silver Hills I, indeed. I met yeah, it was beautiful. So I met all these like kids like me and we only had school for a couple hours a day. And most of the kids just had I mean, the only thing we had we all had in common were our families were a mess, you know, some, I mean, I'm sure there was probably some people there that were truly mental patients and, and, you know, had some real serious mental, um, illness. And I'm not making light of that, you know, just most of us kids were just really like hurting, you know? So we had connections with each other that were just deeper than you could ever have, you know, with, with anyone else. And, um, I love that place. And then, unfortunately like after two months and like probably one hundred and twenty thousand or whatever that my school system paid they sent me to another place like a a reform kind of um like residential treatment facility uh called called um devereau glenholm like the glenholm school or something like that horrible place horrible like i'm not even sure like what you can say like if they can sue you for libel but i i just hate that school like and, and a lot of a lot of stuff has come out about that school. Like people, um, I think like the guy who wrote like Silver Linings Playbook, like his kid went there, and I, I think he had Tourette syndrome, which is a very you know serious thing that needs to be treated. And mm-hmm. he was raising money at this gala in New York City, and you know I experienced that school, so that just enraged me. That you know I just wanted to write to him and be like, you know, I'm sure your son needs that school, but not everyone there needed that. You know, not everyone needed. That like most of those kids needed nurturing. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to walk in straight lines and like, you know, if they, if they talked back to be thrown in a padded room, that's not what they needed. You know, and that, that kind of stuff happened to me. So it just shaped who, who I I am, you know, and who I became. And, um, so after I left there, I was there for like a year and a half or so. I did tr- try to go home but i only lasted at home for about 3 months like my level of respect for my parents and all adults was so low
0: well yeah it sounds like i mean just a level of alienation yeah i was really come back from
3: i was just unable to really um just have any respect you know for them or any trust you know so it just took a it took a little while and so i ran away and i just you know i i did everything from you know, inner city kind of runaway shelters to, to friends that had, you know, mansions in, in Connecticut with, you know, Ferraris in the driveway. It was just a very strange, to living with my grandparents, to living with my, my friend, um, my best friend, Carlos, who, who was from Colombia. his whole family didn't like barely spoke English. So I lived with them for about a year. It was just a very interesting, you know, childhood. And, um, And that just, you know, so...
0: And are you still going to school as you've run away? Like, I mean...
3: Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I was still going to school. I mean, there was different programs I went to at different times. Like, a lot of it's, like, a big blur. You know, I know that I went to some different kind of high schools for, like, troubled kids and stuff mm -hmm. for a little while. And um, there's different programs they, they throw kids in. Unfortunately, there's nothing that really, like, puts a kid in a good situation as far as like a family family life they can't give you like brand new parents Mm -hmm. you know as much as i love my parents now like they can't they can't give you parents that are you know clean and sober and and say you know welcome home son like everything's like let let me you know you can trust me and here's the you know um so it was just a a a really turbulent situation and and yeah that so at that that residential school that uh the devro uh devro school glenholm devro I, I forget what it's called i think it's called the glenholm school um but um if anybody's thinking of sending their kids there don't don't trust the the fancy manicured gardens and lawns it's it's a it's a nightmare for kids um so i ran away from there as well and we ed and i wrote a song about it called stay low and um i lit a I, like we all had different duties to do, and like it, it rotated. So I was on like as brec- one does in prison. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was on, I was on breakfast duty like one day or one week, and I I, I planned the whole thing with my girlfriend. I don't think she, at the time I don't think she made it um, out, but she was supposed to plan a diversion, and I was supposed to plan a diversion. Then we were both supposed to run at the back door. My diversion was to start a grease fire like while cooking like bacon which i did and the fire went up the the wall and hopefully there's no like statute of limitations on this thing hopefully there is is, like because i again i i'm not sure how many people i've told this besides yeah um, but it it wasn't an accident a
0: podcast that we're going to put out for everyone to hear (laughs) yet but
1: but it was definitely an accidental
3: yes it was an accidental fire that I meant you to, meant to cook the bacon. That I meant to yeah I meant to cook the bacon extra extra well yeah so that's, that's the way to put. going up the wall yeah so yeah and and so the staff there's always staff members watching us you know um, at all times 24/ 7 so they ran to go put out the fire and I went running out the back door just as fast as I could as I could run and we were out in the country in, in Washington Connecticut um the foot of like the Berkshires I think James Taylor actually lived there at the time and um I just I just ran I ran through the the cornfields I ran through the woods and stuff I only got caught when I you know it's been it had been a few hours and I decided to go back on the road just because I was like it's really deep dense woods you know and I was like I, I got out you know so Ed and I wrote a song all about that you know I mean I I had this plan and to meet um what kind of trees are they again juniper juniper trees i i you know i didn't i kind of researched what trees were up there and i realized they were they were junipers and that's where i was supposed to meet my girlfriend but she never did show up so ed and i wrote a song called stay low about that and that you know it's a great great way to talk about that situation and and to remember that and to remember those emotions and it's very real
2: Out your window on a stereo sky your flame and watch for the sun And fly, kick up your magical heels And meet me by the juniper trees Meet me by the juniper trees Remember stay alone Gotta stay alone Escape before the savage is known once we make it to the cone will be home free, and we will hear the angels sing.
3: Not every song has to be that real and autobiographical, but... If you do go th- through a situation where an accidental fire occurs and you
2: <laughs> run, <laughs> run away exactly.
3: and you you happen to be in a residential treatment facility with, <laughs> with padded rooms, like you should write about that. You know what I mean? That's like, like you can you can make up fantasy stories and you can write about different people and characters, but you can also write about what's real to you and what's what's um, what's vulnerable and. And I'm I'm continuing to do that like more and more, but it took me a long time, you yeah, know, I, I mean, to like. I, o- open to say up. I can
0: imagine, I don't know that I can, but as much as I can, yeah, that's a lot to. Unpack. I mean, other kids
3: had it much. There's a lot of other kids who had it much harder than me. I just I just feel like that these experiences eventually led me. Well, first led me to, to paint and draw, and then then led me to to want to be a songwriter. And also to want to have a a beautiful life and a family and and yeah I mean I did I did bad stuff after I got out of that other place too and went down some dark roads and then at a certain point I like you know I remember the last time I used you know hard drugs and stuff like that and it's around 18 or so 18 19 right when I started writing songs Mm -hmm. and I haven't since you know yeah just turned 40 so it's
0: like it was a lifetime ago. So did you find a relationship back with your parents then through songwriting?
3: Um, yeah. And also just like my dad's sobriety. Like he's just, you know, he, he fought for that and he, he really changed and he's become, you know, over many, many years been a mentor to me and a, a so supportive and, and someone I love and I'm so proud of and, and he's been a mentor to me and, you know, unfortunately he didn't he didn't get clean until after I was, I, f- I forget what age I was, maybe 20 or some, or maybe 22. I, I forget when it actually s- stuck. Stuck, Yeah. Yeah. But it took, you know, it was a few, d- definitely more than one rehab trips, you know, and, um, and my mom too, you know, um, same deal, you know, sober, um, took, it took longer, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, would say, you know, just the fact that they were able to do that makes me respect them, you know, and they're, they're lovely people. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't, doesn't change my experience. And I hope they'll never be like offended by me being honest about my own personal experience. I'm sure if they did a podcast, they could probably (laughs) talk about me and, and we're going to have them on next week. Yeah. Yeah. If you have them on, you know what I mean? Like I, I was not, I was not a summer breeze, you know, um, and I'm not into like blaming or anything, but it doesn't take away like my um experience growing up. Yeah. And in some ways I'm just really really freaking grateful because, you know, I'd have I'd have nothing to write about. <laughs> 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 and, I, and 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 also just the empathy, like I'd have I'd have nothing to empathize about because like I said, there were so many kids I met that just had it so much worse than me. You know, that didn't have parents that didn't have like two parents or didn't have or both their parents were terrible or, or they didn't say they loved them. You know, like my parents were 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 sweet people and, and I learned a lot from them and they, they loved us. You know, they didn't you know, so I was very, very lucky in a lot of ways and they gave they gave me a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting about that. You know, I mean, certainly everybody knows what the blues is. But, you know, I and I were talking about this the other day. My dad always comments. He's a huge Eric Clapton fan. But he always said, you know, his least favorite Clapton stuff is when Clapton has a couple happy points in his life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, but, I mean, the poor guy's gone through so much hardship. And, yeah. you know, all this incredible music's come from it, you know? And I can think of some of my favorite songwriters. Like, I'm sure there's things, you know, we talked about before we started recording. But, you know, and some when we did, Jason Isbell, you think, of, you know... Cover Me Up. I'm, you know, on the whole, the song is happy. He's found somebody, but he's talking about some really dark stuff, which <laughs> yeah. makes that song so beautiful and, and amazing, yeah. you know? yeah. Um, so Talk it's an it interesting him. point to Emotion. say, Emotion, you know, he's, yeah. It's not as much light without the dark, but...
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it's a fascinating piece.
3: Um, He'd probably have similar stories, which, you know, it gives you, also gives you hope to, to, to know that people like Jason Isbell can go out there and be so proud about being clean and sober and he's he's writing about these experiences and he's you know he's giving giving hope to people yeah by being transparent and by being honest and you know it's great
0: you know well speaking of pride let's talk a little bit about and um, some of your proudest moments in your music career like what are, yeah, what are the, yeah. what's like the gig you're most proud of like you think back and you're like that was that was a paramount moment like that was the peak Man, or or one of the peaks.
3: There's been so many. Like, I mean, just starting, like, getting to Nashville, and of course, like, playing the Bluebird is, is, you know, as a young, like, as a as a young like songwriter is pretty.
0: I'm not that young anymore, and it's still a mecca. I hope to at some point awesome, would be worthy of. Yeah, absolutely.
3: It's you know that's that's always cool. I I proposed to my wife there. You know, it's a special place. I mean, there's just been there's been too many gigs. Like over, I mean, I I do feel like these recent gigs, just like at Thirty A Fest, like I had some fans that have been following me for a while, and they just they just came up to me and they just said, "Man, you know, we liked you before, but I really think you've gotten better. You know, like you've gotten better in the last year. You know, your voice has gotten better, or your your um presence, or your you know your I could I could feel it more. You know, like that." You know, and I I could feel it myself, and I and and I know that comes from a lack of, uh, and that comes from like not being so hard on yourself, and just like being able to get up there and 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 just show your yourself. Well, oh, you it's know? funny, it's
0: like a chicken egg situation of are you sounding in that way because you n- you're not as hard on yourself, and are you not being as hard on yourself because you sound better, like <laughs> you're <weren't> more comfortable with <laughs> the way you sound, you know? Right, it's a real right. Yeah, it's-
3: well, yeah, I mean, it's like because you you know. I'm a big, big believer in like, you know, rehearsed, like practicing. I do, I do vocal ups every day. Like I, I work on stuff like that. So I don't have to think about it. Like at the show, you, know, you shouldn't be thinking about it at the show, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think you, you do that stuff, but then at the show, you really just need to be thinking about music and the song and, and all of that stuff. So I was really proud at 30A to feel like, just like I belong there. You know, because there's, you know, the some of the greatest songwriters in the world there. And I'm obviously not playing side by side with them yet. But like, just to feel that you're on the, the right, yeah, just, you know, just to feel like you're on the right path or the right journey and that you're continuing to move forward, you know, as the, so some of those shows at 38 were really special to me.
0: Is there a, a gig or a venue or a stage or festival that you lay back at night and you're like, man that would be it like that's
3: well there's so many really you know um and I've gotten to play a few of them but there's there's just so many I mean I guess you could you could think about Newport Folk or or Red Rocks or like just kind of go down or or, you know all the beautiful theaters in, in Europe and stuff um that I haven't played yet um there's just there's so many you know um it's hard. It's hard to think of just one. Mm-hmm. I think just being able to like do that consistently and and just focus like get to a point in your career where you're just really focused on writing and recording and touring, and then of course taking a, a break, you know, with your family. Yeah. But just knowing that you have enough fans to sustain that. Um, where I mean, right now, I'm really grateful for the fans I have that sustain have sustained my career and continue to do so you know it's just um so I'm very happy with where I'm at but if that just continues to move upward like it has it'll just be it'll just continue every year will, will be there'll be new stuff and you'll, you'll never get bored with it
0: so is that a good cadence you, you want to try and do a record a year
3: um I think you you kind of have to these days like it, I mean um like touring used to f- um What does my manager always say? Like, I mean, it used to be that um, touring fueled the recording. And like, you could, you know, if you, if you toured for four years straight, you could like push that recording for like four years. And now it's like recording the new recording that fuels the touring. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have like a new single out, new video, new album, it's, I can see it. It's like harder. It's it's harder to get those gigs, those festivals, um, that buzz. Like there's a very short attention span.
0: But there's also still to like. Some people are seeing you for the first time every time you play. You know. Yeah.
3: True. Um, That's true. But yeah, to get to get some of like, I mean, to move forward and to continue to move the dial, I think you need to continue to put out stuff and hopefully put out stuff that's better. Than what you did before yeah in some way whether or be really proud of what you've done before but but know that you can you can grow in certain ways or just try or maybe just try different things like I won't record another stargazer next you know like um I have different goals right now you know I want to do something that's more live and just more emotional and just and just find that right that right thing and just and just hopefully it's hopefully it's the next thing forward for me
1: yeah jesse we appreciate you coming in man oh thanks for having me
3: thanks for listening to my all my stories
1: thanks for sharing with us and uh you're an inspiration as an artist but also just your your willingness to to be vulnerable as an artist and also to uh, share your your truth thanks man yeah thank you so much of yourself so
3: thank you Yeah,
1: yeah
0: yeah absolutely i you know i'll leave you with absolutely you and a few other people um are the reason I got back into playing. I mean, I remember seeing that first show of seeing you do that and be like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like, how could I not be doing this? And it was a really big deal for me. And I know some of it was Ed had, had worked it out, but, um, he and I, and Colin, who's, who's in Mercy McCoy with me, but we got to open for you. One of the times you came back through at the That's hideaway great, a couple yeah. years later. And that was just like this, Amazing moment for me because I was like, "Oh my gosh, he's coming back!" And then we got to do that, and that was such a cool thing. So thank you for letting us do that. Thank you, man. Um, it was really, wow. really enjoyable for us, and it's super enjoyable having you do this show with us. Hopefully, we'll have you back again for the next record.
2: Yeah, I'd love to. Do. Cool. We'll see you later.
1: You've been listening to Song Divers. Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own, and just to be perfectly clear, none of us recommend setting a fire as a solution to any problem. Songs we heard in this episode are Carrie, written by Jesse Terry and Maya Davies, and featuring background vocals from Kim Ritchie. That's from Jesse's Natural album, We also heard Let the Blue Skies Go to Your Head, written by Jesse Terry, that's from Empty Seat on a Plane. And we heard Stay Low, written by Jesse Terry and Edwalt Till, from Jesse's Stargazer album.
0: A special thank you to Jesse Terry for spending time with us in the studio. You can hear Jesse's songs everywhere music is available. Follow him on Spotify, say hi on his social media channels, and get tickets for his next stop at jesseterrymusic.com.
1: And now if you could just sing an a cappella version of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Songdivers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.